oh my god, critic, why are you taking notes? I feel like it, this is a casual <laughs> conversation. No, no, I... <laughs> How do you know? Because you, you you showed us your yellow pad full of notes. Listen, it's because I have I I can't focus if I don't write down things. Like my brain, you I couldn't remember winners. Okay, like you want me to be like, uh, my joy comes from flowers. <laughs> an assistant professor of politics at York University. This is Academic Aunties. I wanted this episode to be a light summer episode. It is hot. It has been a long year. And it has been incredibly stressful. So I just wanted to film an episode where I chilled with my best friends and we talked about fun things. I was thinking, hmm... Maybe we could talk about what to wear in conferences post-COVID, i.e. can you make yoga pants rather than ugly polyester suits the norm for conference wear? How about an episode talking about why indulging guilty pleasures like watching The Bachelor or Younger is important if we want to keep going in this line of work? But then, a few days before we were set to record our podcast, the Islamophobic attack in London, Ontario that saw a white supremacist man kill a Muslim family out on their daily walk happened. This was just a week after the discovery of the unmarked graves of 215 indigenous children at the site of a residential school in British Columbia. And as we were editing this podcast, 751 more unmarked graves of indigenous children were discovered in Saskatchewan, and we know there will be more. For many of us, these events hit viscerally, painfully. They aren't just news events that you can read about in the morning, after which you can go about your day. When I heard about the London attacks, I was in the middle of a virtual academic conference. I opted out of the next panel because how the heck can I sit there talking about whatever it is that academics talk about when this white supremacist Islamophobic attack just happened? As I was processing everything, it hit me. Academia has been so draining to me lately because it seems as though we're not given the chance to just breathe and just be. Academia venerates being quick and reactive. The Islamophobic attack in London happens, the discovery of the unmarked graves of indigenous children gets disseminated, and then the very next day, new calls for papers, and not by members of these communities, are circulated. They who act quickly and who gets the first publication out of this traumatic event are the ultimate winners, didn't you know? Also, the next day, after being vicariously traumatized by these tragedies, we open our inboxes and requests flood us to do sometimes uncompensated labor educating the public, mostly white folks, let's be clear, on Islamophobia, anti-indigeneity, and settler colonialism. You name it. And though many of us feel obligated to say yes and work through the pain, how might always constantly being reactive and always trying to do the right thing affect us in the long term? These questions and many more animated my conversation with my best friends, Dr. Shaista Patel and Kritika Ghosh. I hope you enjoy the conversation. 
So, hi everyone. I am Kritika. I'm Kritika Auntie. <laughs> I'm Ethel's friend from about uh, almost two decades now. <laughs> and um, I work um, at the Asian uh, Pacific Islander Domestic Violence Resource Project, a small culturally specific um, gender-based violence agency uh, based in Washington, D.C. Um, and um, in my spare time, I just chill and watch Netflix, but not in the same manner as it's known to be. <laughs> and uh, I am uh, an immigrant, um, both to the US and when I lived in Canada, I was an immigrant there. I'm um, also a queer, queer South Asian woman, a femme, and I am so thankful and grateful for having amazing friends like Ethel and Shaista and sharing the space with you both today. Thank you so much, Auntie Critica. And I think it's funny, like, I love your intro because I remember we first met each other when we were doing our master's in England. And uh, that's like one of my most defining moments because it, I don't know if you remember this, but it was so awkward. Imagine this, right? Like a room full of like maybe 50 new master's students and we all had to do intros. And I was third, I think, to do the introduction. Um, and I was like, you know, coming from undergrad, didn't really know that there were different ways to introduce yourself in academia. And so I kind of was just like, hi, my name's Ethel. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> like, you know, and, it, and it was like, and then you were so honest, you know, and uh, you know, you were probably one of the youngest folks uh, in the program. And you it felt like, you know, these are spheres for everybody's trying to kind of one up themselves. Oh, I've been doing like, you know, work in these most remote parts of the world. And I'm like, so good and so great. And you're just being true to yourself, you know, and that's what I love about you and both actually, because yes, you do amazing work, you we all do. But um, we are not just defined by that. And even within that, we have vulnerabilities that we share with each other. So it's not just like, oh, I'm all that. And, and it's okay to be all that as, as well. But I think that you have that vulnerability and you were sharing your true essence of yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much. And also, honestly, like you're so kind. But when I remember that, I'm just like, I felt like Elle Woods and Legally Blonde. <laughs> and Shasta, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh my God, that was wonderful. My name is Shaista. And I work as um, assistant professor of critical Muslim studies in the Department of Ethnic Studies at University of California, San Diego. Um, I, am, I am from Pakistan and I did all my schooling in Canada and now I'm here in the U.S. for this job. And I want to say, so my first memory, the, the interesting part for me is my first memory of Ethel is when I got her uh googling bollywood actor abhishek bachchan who the kids today will not know who that is but back when we were young he was uh, really really hot i mean we all some of us aged really badly so did he but anyways he was hot back in 2002 or 2003 and that's when i first met ethel 2002 i think it was i can't remember and kritika i remember her walking in slow motion wearing this uh you know blue and orange banarsi sari at a south asian event and i just had this like you know thing for a moment as, as a deeply uh cis hetero uh, unfortunately super hetero woman i had this thing where kritika was walking towards being slow motion uh with, with her <laughs> blue and orange sari so yeah, so those are like, you know, I just wanted to say that those are my earliest memories of both Kritika and Ethel. 
I also just want to say that, that that was like such a lovely memory to share. And, you know, for me, um, you know, when I think about like eternal love stories, and I've been thinking about this quite a bit recently, my love stories are with you both and my closest friends, you know, because they have lasted longer than so many relationships in my life. That's so beautiful. And I can see the slow motion walk because for people listening, like Kritika has a very like elegant stride. Do you know what I mean? Like, she just kind of glides and she's super fashionable. Um, so we've known each other for almost 20 years, which is scary. And I feel old all of a sudden. Um, but I think, I don't know. I mean, if we can say this, like, we're we're nearing the point where we can no longer call ourselves, like, you know, young professionals, I feel like. I feel like we're like seasoned, seasoned. Does that mean seasoned professionals? Mid career, mid career. <laughs> so there was a tweet that went viral last night that got everyone really upset. Well, it got me upset. Um, where someone was like, um, "For those of you in your twenties, if you want to get ahead in your career, you need to work nights and weekends." And as someone who is, you know, on the cusp of forty, I'm like, no, no. Are there pieces of advice that you would give yourself at the age of 25 from the standpoint of someone a decade or more later i did have i did put in a lot of works on night and nights and weekends in my 20s and even my 30s i would say till i reached a point where i physically can't do it anymore or if i do then i have to take time off during the week but i think it comes from this whole notion of having to um be on the get-go constantly and that is what shows oh look at how what a get like a amazing person that they are they're working 80 hour weeks and that's like ridiculous no nobody should have to do that you know and um also there is this conception of folks who are unpartnered or without kids that apparently we have all the time in the world to do this and which is ridiculous too because a lot of labor goes to younger folks for that reason this assumption of uh, that they have that time and for those of us who are older and you know still you know I choose to not have uh, partners or have kids um, that labor should not come on to us you know so I think this notion of having to constantly be on the grind you know that's the word the grind you know I think that that's ridiculous we have to recognize boundaries and um, in some Sometimes I'm guilty of that sometimes myself of expecting others to put in as much time as I do or put myself putting so much time into things. But then I have to tell myself, you know, there is only so much I'm capable of doing and I can't do anymore and it's okay. When I was younger, I would probably like kind of like tell myself, oh my God, I, I didn't do this or that. And now I'm like, you know, I, of my to-do list out of 10, I've done three and that's good enough because I did those well. You know, I, I will say this, that at 25, I did not know how to be okay with myself in my body, um, just where my life was headed. And, you know, I think this question is also about, for those of us, for example, who are first generation, I think, I think this was more difficult for, you know, for me as somebody who does not come with that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of backing. Um, and first gen in university, I was at UBC um, doing my master's at 25. And I was coming from a degree in computer science. I did not know where I was headed. So I think there was always this thing that I have so much to catch up on, right? Whether it was in terms of readings, theorists that whose names I couldn't pronounce at that time, or just just seeing, you know, younger people younger than me talk so confidently but you know now I know that it came, I came with in with so many stories and so many knowledges and uh, you know that I, I should have been okay 
and I think these are things that you learn along the way, right? Like you have to have, uh, I had to have a distance of 10, 15 years from being 25 to then realize that I I could have slowed down, that I was okay. And I think that's something we could listen to as well, right? The calm down, it'll be okay. Because I think one thing that's hard in our professional worlds is you can never satisfy the beast, so it sounds as though we're all really burnt out. We're all recognizing the importance of boundaries. Are you happy with your work? Where do we find joy in our work? <laughs> Silence. I, I just took a deep sigh. We actually wrapped up our quarter because we are on quarter system in California. Uh, well, at least at UCSD and... So we basically teach for 21 weeks, beginning January. So we just wrapped up the quarter. I am exhausted. Uh, I, I, you know, Ethel, when you asked to talk about joy, honestly, I took out my notebook and I was like, I'm going to write down some points so that I don't forget, right? Like in a sense that it doesn't come naturally because we are so exhausted and so burned out um, and, and just have so many power struggles, ongoing struggles, whether it's in the department, it's in the university, it's with our colleagues outside. Um, this is, I, I really want us to spend some time thinking about, you know, joy versus happiness. Well, I don't actually know the difference. What is joy and what is happiness? You know, so I'll give an example, right? There is this in San Diego at our mosque, there is this old woman who, you know, just the way she's dressed, like impeccably dressed all the time at the mosque where I often get into an Uber and check my shoes to make sure they're the same color. <laughs> uh, and even if they're different, I'm like, they're both black. It's fine. Okay. But anyway, so, you know, like she just, I, I think it takes that, you know, that sort of like, investment in oneself i think that comes from some sense of like you know you are precious and and you need to show that effort so i really appreciate her but she's always happy she's so old um you know she uh she walks with a walker um and i i just look at her and you know and she really loves me and she sings me songs because you know she speaks this other language and can speak hindi a little bit so she she thinks that she needs to uh sing songs to me at the mosque and and, uh, you know, my brother came to visit us and visit me and I, uh, you know, I, I introduced him to her and like she sang a song mm. for him too, right? But both my brother and my mom came and we were, when we were driving back, we were just like, you know, this woman has so much joy in her heart. Uh, you know, I'm sure she has struggles in her life, like she's in her 80s or maybe early 90s, but she just has it. And I think joy is such a blessing. So I think joy is something in your heart. Happiness, you know, can shift condition based on your conditions. But I think it's just such a blessing that I'm trying to find. Yeah. No, I really like that because it's about, it's less about the transient. When you're happy, I'm happy when I get like a mango cake, right? I'm happy when um, I watch a really good show on Netflix. But joy, I think is something that comes from being contented. But the funny thing is, you know, in asking that question, I think I was thinking about, is there joy in our work? <laughs> I think that's a hard question. I think that, okay, so for me, when you think of happiness and joy, I can think of moments, right? But I want it to be so that it's like continuous, mm. you know? Like it shouldn't just be like, 
you know, in my one month, here is the three times that I felt like really joyous or happy because of this and this, right? How can we sustain that, you know, in, in ourselves? Because otherwise, that's why we're all getting burnt out is because it's like there are fleeting moments where we experience it. Or otherwise, how can we continue doing what we do? But how is it that we can find it in our daily lives instead of like just like once in a blue moon, you know? You know, there's a question that I want to pose to the readers, um, to sorry, to the listeners. There's a question I want to pose to the listeners. Um, can joy be practiced? You know, can, can is joy a practice? And I remember from my job talk uh, for this job at UCSD, I talked about, you know, some of my ancestors. I talked about Dalit Muslims. I talked about violence. You know, my work is about a lot of violence, right? And figuring out ways of writing about it so that, you know, it, one, the violence becomes legible without, you know, without continuing the humiliation of my ancestors for example so it's it's you know it's really it's difficult job and uh, after my job talk I remember I think it was a graduate student who asked me uh, how do you find joy in your work and my answer at that point this is like a few years ago maybe three years ago my answer at that point was well I and mean, look at what the people whose lives I'm talking about went through right so I I said I have to find joy out of this sense of complicity out of this sense of privilege but I'm no longer satisfied with that answer because it's, you know, my ancestors did not go through what they went through for for over two millennia so that I can be sad. what you said Shasta resonated deeply with me when you think about um, you know what you said uh, your ancestors didn't suffer this much for you not to feel joy right I think that resonates deeply with me as well Um, so can joy be practiced it's hard right because I feel that the world (laughs) keeps encroaching in our sacred spaces right I want joy to be part of my daily practice but you can't negate the structural. You can't negate, as we saw last week, the Islamophobic, for God's sake, right? You can't negate white supremacy because it keeps coming into our lives, no matter the boundaries that we try to form. So how how do you two go on? <laughs> it's been a hard week. I freaking wanted to have a podcast talking about the new Bachelorette. Right. like <laughs> I wanted to talk about like reality TV and, you know, hashtag hot prof summer. Right. Like, but then the world doesn't let us take a break. I also find that labor often comes to us. Right. It comes to BIPOC folks to constantly have to say, why are you saying, you know, this whole notion of like, this is not the U.S., this is not Canada for, you know, especially Canada, because it has that, um, you know, idea of like oh, um, diversity, inclusion, all well encompassing and all of that. And all of the things that are happening right now seem to be made as an anomaly. And we know that it's not, you know, so but that explanation of the history of what's happening and blah, 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 all of that comes to folks of 
you know, uh, who are, you know, of the most marginalized backgrounds and who are being impacted by this violence, you know. So that's just, that's another way of being totally exhausted, you know. So, and that's how I felt, you know, after the Atlanta attacks here, because then it came all like, oh my God, like, you know, Asian women are being, you know, attacked and being abused. But that's like the whole history of it. It's like been there for hundreds of years since the beginning of this country, you know. And every time I speak, I speak about that. And it's like, I should just record it and just play it, you know. It's just like, but it's like, you know, is that going into people's heads at all? I don't know. But um, I'm just saying that that's another thing that just exhausts me. Absolutely. And can we circle back to uh, what I think Auntie Shasta and I were talking about offline? Um, So you had mentioned that things happen in the world. Then all of these people in academia come up with a call for papers, Mm. right? Like the next day. What is it about our field that lead to vultures circling around tragedy? Do you know the answer? Because I'm just like, dude, like, really? I think it makes people feel better about themselves that they're saying or doing something uh, in some way. Not not the people who are being asked to speak, but like who are, for example, in the nonprofit sector, sometimes you can get like... um. Mm. Uh, you'd be like, oh, we're funding anti-Asian violence related work, but really not thinking about the sustainability or anything about that, that end, you know, or it's about like, hey, come on a panel and speak, you know, that form, you know, or here, can you write an op-ed, you know, but this notion of like, look, we're trying to help you highlight what's happening in your community, but without really looking at it from the systemic angle of things. I, you know, what you both are saying, right? So just in, in the context, I'm based in the U.S. now, but people know that I am Canadian. And right after, right after this, you know, this very extremely anti-Muslim gut-wrenching event that took place either on Monday or on Sunday, sorry, last Sunday, actually a week ago, uh, Monday, we found out. Monday morning, we found out. I had to go on with my meetings for that day. There were tons of meetings. And, you know, it's not that, I mean, it was, I had such a heavy heart. And it's not that I just like, you know, sobbed in my bed. I did not have that privilege, though I wanted to. And that evening, I remember that I had to give a talk to high school students about why ethnic studies matters, right? But, 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 you know, and I've done these things before too, uh, as somebody who is in an ethnic studies department in California, where we are trying to introduce ethnic studies at high school level, which I really strongly support. I just gave that talk with so much passion because I felt what could I, as a very insignificant person in this corner of Southern California, right next to the border, actually 30 miles to the, you know, from the border, what can I do in my little corner? And I just gave it with so much passion, right? So even despite heartbreak, despite being extremely deeply sad and just not having any, any sort of life in my fingertips, I really sat there and thought, you know, try to think about how I was feeling in my body i went to bed that evening at midnight uh, that night at midnight i woke up at seven o'clock uh pacific time my time and i opened my inbox and i had three emails three emails one from and i'm not going to name any names but one from a very popular site asking me what my opinion was and if i'd be happy and that they would be happy to publish a 800 word um, article from me if i could submit it that day or the next day and so that was that. And then two non-Muslim, and I'm going to say this, they're both racialized, two non-Muslim racialized scholars reaching out to me to see if I would write with them. 
I mean, I was at that point gathering people from my community, right? So I come from a Shia Ismaili community and I was gathering people to talk about how we were feeling, checking in on Muslim grad students that I know um, across Canada and the US. This is the care work that we were doing at that point versus being asked, right? So, but, but you know, this is just one example, right? Like any the New Zealand shootings that happened actually the year that I started my job, I remember this March or April, 2019, there were these uh, calls for writing articles. It's just, I mean, these are, and I think Ethel, you and I, we both talked about how they already have a template mm. set. They have <laughs> their, you know, space for writing the headings. They have their charts, as you said, Ethel, like on, on Twitter, and they have all the information where they're just going to plug in the specifics of that violence and churn out their articles. And I, I can name, you know, both white scholars and unfortunately racialized scholars who do this. So I don't know if vulture is the right word because I, I think it has some significance in some indigenous cultures, but I don't know if, you know, if parasite would be a better word. Like they're waiting to eat off our blood and our bones and they'll eat it all, you know, so. Um, it's just, it's just, it's, I, I'm just so enraged and tired. But yeah, thank you for mentioning I that. I think when it's coming, when the organizing work is coming from people within the community, I'm more okay with it, right? Like, it's like, okay, like you need to mobilize, you need to have the vigil, you need to, you need to talk about this. Fantastic, right? It's, it's a way to show community care. But I do side-eye people who aren't part of the community who see this as an opportunity to have a call for papers, to have another publication. And a part of me is like, can't you let us breathe? So the people who sent you the emails, it's like, okay, but like, it just happened, right? Can't you just give her space to just process and just be? And yeah, that's, it's just hard. And that's, and how do you say no? And how do you say no graciously? Or do you say no graciously? Or do you just like not respond? I just want to say this, right? And this is a question that we don't really need to engage with, but I just want to leave it, you know, just, 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 just say it and then, and then we can move on. It's this thing that, you know, instead of seeing this, what is happening as an apocalypse, which many, uh, you know, I've heard, especially white folks call it an apocalypse. And, uh, but, but, you know, instead of seeing it as an apocalypse, can we see it as a transformation of some kind? And does that, you know, is that is that sort of a, a pedagogy of practicing joy, right? That's a question I, I am really thinking through because, I mean, we have always, right? Like a heterogeneous, we, we've always lived with, we've lived with violence, we've lived with genocides, we've lived with murders, we've lived with refugeehood, we've lived with colonial borders despite them, right? And we've still managed to make babies, have lots of sex, be happy. <laughs> And it's just, it's, but it's important, right? That, that, that this is not an apocalypse. Ashley Shasta, speaking about kind of carving out spaces of respite and fun and joy amidst all of these exhausting demands on our time, you told me. <laughs> that you recently paid 179 US dollars to learn Turkish um, with Rosetta Stone. Why Why are you learning Turkish? I mean, that's really cool. But just out of curiosity, whoa, like, is this for a project? <laughs> Sorry, I need to stop <laughs> laughing before I can respond to that. 
Um, I think my hormones make me do a lot of work. And the best work that I do is credited to my hormones, which might be, you know, which are waiting and going all wonky because of my age now. And I think this might be my last, you know, pre-menopausal, neo-menopausal crush. And I'm absolutely in love with this Turkish star who is, I hope he's not super young or, or but whatever. Let's... Uh, you know, I, I cannot pronounce his name, but it's not important because I objectify him, right? So for me, he's that uh, Turkish. I think his first name is Halil. I don't know how to say it, though. Anyway, so I, uh, you know, I'm really frustrated because there are like 200 episodes of that show and only 130 have been translated. And I even gave money to the site CEO for you.net because they were like if you give us money we can continue this work so i i, I you know i donated i, I donated like 50 dollars 50 what? us I, i'm not kidding. Are you serious that's a lot of money are you kidding me but anyways this is six months ago and they still weren't translating anything and so anyways and so then i decided i'm gonna pay rosetta stone 179 dollars it's it's not a bad deal because it's unlimited languages for a lifetime and i decided i'm gonna take matters into my own hands and learn turkish honestly um the pictures that you've sent i'm just like okay on, okay he's not 25 right like he's like older because it would be creepy He's 35. He's 35. No, no, he's 35. Okay, good, because I'm like, you want to be like, you know, baby cougars, you know what I mean? Like being like, not that, okay, like not that we do not judge, but like, <laughs> anyway, whatever. I can't judge you anyway, because I love Prince Harry. So, I mean, I still do. I do. Oh my God. Can I also say Ethel? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but also Ethel, I was just thinking of you because, like, in my uh, in my, you know, as soon as I turn on my YouTube page, like, there's this video. I don't know why it comes up, I swear, but there's this video. Oh, because, like, you know, they spy on Facebook and we talk about Prince Harry a lot on Facebook. But there's this video of this toddler stealing popcorn from Prince Harry, and that keeps coming up. And I keep meaning to send it to you because I'm like Ethel needs to watch this. Okay, then so I will send it to you after. You need to send it, and I need to watch it. And I'm so excited. I'm like breathless right now. Re Does he react really cutely? Is he like... No, he, he, he... I mean, this is a person who grew up on stealing money from us. So he wasn't very happy with the toddler stealing popcorn. I don't know. Yeah, he could have been nicer. He's an enlightened prince, though. I mean, he is going to bring down the monarchy, right? Like, this is an anti-colonial prince... Who is probably reading Saeed? Whatever. I don't know that my hormones are talking. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if Prince Harry has ever read Saeed. I don't know. I like to think he is. Well, I, I think he calls Saeed said. So let's let's just leave it at that. <laughs> or Megan is like giving him the abbreviated version. You know, I'm sure she has read Saeed. I, I probably do not. I, I do not think she she has. But anyways, but that's oh, that's going to get into whole. I have a crush on Megan, and Ethel has a crush on Harry. So I mean, I think that she's. Amazing. Why do you like her? Is it her style? You two are perfect stalkers. <laughs> So no, I just want to I just want to say that I want to popularize you know what you said Ethel was hot 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 summer prof. I just want to popularize this idea of trashy profs. That's who I am, and I'm so okay with that at my age that I'm just trashy and superficial and yeah. 
But you're oh, not you like, you like, yeah, no, you're okay. Hashtag trashy, superficial prof. But you're, but you're not like, I mean, you're not superficial. You are one of the most profound thinkers and writers that I know. But like, yeah. let's stop with the posturing. Okay. This is what I hate about our respective worlds. It's like you, I mean, sometimes I'm just like, dude, like, just admit that you don't listen to like, you know, classical music. Just admit that you like reality TV. It's fine, right? No one's going to think ill of you, right? Like, stop. I just think people would just be better off if they stop posturing. And so hashtag trashy prof summer. We're going to make that trend. We're going to make that happen. Um, I love it. Um, but thank you both so much, Anti-Critica, Anti-Shasta. This has been a fun conversation. It's been a pleasure. In hindsight, it was actually great that we had Anti-Shasta and Anti-Critica, my best friends in the whole wide world, for this podcast conversation. It was good for us to check in. I know our emotions were feeling really raw that day. We also managed amid our anxieties to discuss joy. And for me, even though it has been a hard year, having a community of care surround me, bear witness with me, and laugh with me has kept me going. So this podcast episode is as much about giving academic anti-advice as it is about celebrating the joy of friendship. And that's Academic Antis for this season. Yes, in the spirit of hashtag Trashy Prof Summer, which for me is about reclaiming joy, we are taking a summer break. Let's use the summer to pivot and remember what it feels like to prioritize ourselves. Let's normalize setting an away message for our work emails to get away from the constant demands on our time. For me, my plan is to read summer novels, go swimming, and go on adventures with my family. In Toronto, where I am, things are slowly reopening, so I also want to use the summer to connect with friends I haven't seen in more than a year. Work-wise, I am also using the time to remember what it is that I like about my work and saying no to projects and other commitments that no longer work for me. For an immigrant kid, deliberately stepping back from the hustle feels strange, but it's important for me to do this. But before we go, I want to thank all of you for listening and for all of the kind words you've sent us, the amazing reviews you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts, and spreading the word to those who could use some anti-wisdom. Many of you have talked to me about how this podcast has helped you feel less alone in academia. And that's really the best compliment I could ever get. So thank you for sticking with me for these first four episodes of this labor of love. I've had a really, really hard year, <laughs> but making this podcast was cathartic and knowing how much it resonated with all of you made me, well, happy. And I was really touched. While we're on break, make sure that you follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. We might drop a bonus episode or two for quick advice-giving segments called Ask an Academic Ante, since a few of you have messaged for advice. We'll see. And while you're there, make sure to rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. If you want to get in touch with us and read show notes and transcripts for this and other episodes, visit academicantes.com and follow us on Twitter at, at academicante. As I said, we love hearing from you. 
Today's episode of Academic Aunties was hosted by me, Dr. Ethel Tungohan, and produced by myself and Wayne Shu. Tune in next fall for new episodes of this podcast. Until then, take care, be kind to yourself, and don't be an asshole. <laughs>